Well, Keith, thank you for sharing. Jesus says in Luke 15 that when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice. So there's a party in heaven. Right? Come on, let's get it straight. Let's celebrate the right stuff, the stuff that matters, the stuff that is forever. Amen? Uh, I'm so glad to be here today. And um, let's just pray as we uh, turn to the scripture this morning. (coughs) Lord, I thank you for the miracle of salvation in Keith's life. I thank you that you give us an opportunity to be part of what you're doing. Thank you. You're so good to us. And and Lord, today as we uh, turn to the scripture, we just ask that you'd help us to understand your heart, to hear your heart, uh, and to understand what it means and what we should do about it. I thank you for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and I'd like to read verses 25 through 37. Uh, If I could be on the right page. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He's asking, how do I get to heaven? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, quote, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. 
if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So today is uh, part two in a series um, where we are looking at this parable and this interaction a little bit closer. And I think it's important for us to understand the context of what's going on as in Jesus' life we're getting closer to when he would be falsely accused and executed um, and come back to life as he had predicted. And so the political climate around Jesus is changing and the religious organization has an increasing anger towards him and a reason to try to discredit him and stamp him out. And so that's the context for this conversation. In in a public forum, uh, this religious leader is trying to test Jesus because we've transitioned a little bit from um, just miracles that Jesus is performing to teaching and to now Jesus teaching in, in parables. And I think it's important for us to watch how Jesus behaves because I think Everything about Jesus informs us about God, and I think it's helpful. Jesus does not respond to this test, as it were, and and this is not a test in an examination. This is a defiant challenge to whom Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. So let's make sure we understand that. Jesus responds with a question, um, kind of like the game of questions. So some of you theater kids in the room would be familiar with, myself included, right? Jesus responds to his question with a question, and then Jesus turns a story, and then Jesus then turns around the question that he asks in response. And he actually changes the direction of that, and don't really have the time to completely unpack this, but it's important, it's of note. The guy asks, who is my neighbor? And of note, culturally, at this time, Jews did not recognize anyone who was not also a Jew to be their neighbor in this neighborly sort of way, like a good neighbor or Jesus. Sunday morning, so Jesus is always the answer. So in this good neighbor, clearly there's something in the tone of voice of Jesus. Clearly there's there's something in this and there's clearly something cultural going on that this religious leader brings up this topic. And so what we see is that this question is being asked as Jesus is on the journey getting closer to Jerusalem. He's not in Jerusalem yet. And he's in a setting in particular where there were Jews and Gentiles that were present. We would think from the context of the story The question is posed to him with a racial context. Now, some of you know from uh, previous teaching here in this church, we believe that there are multiple things uh, going on. There is ethnicity, which is different than race, which is primarily a social construct. In other words, race is primarily a concept created by people primarily for the purpose of saying who are the insiders, the people we like, and who are the outsiders, people we don't like, people that we feel are we are superior to them. So race on the whole, a word that I, I try to not use too much because it, it is primarily denoting something negative that has been created to put other people down. Um, and it has come to 
uh, in our common vocabulary to include cultural, the cultural soup that we swim in, the uh, the jokes that you get, the, the entertainment that you are familiar with, where you can refer to this form of entertainment and, and most people are going to be somewhat familiar with it. We're in, in kind of a weird cultural spot right now where, you know, 20 years ago, you could make a joke about a TV show or an event that happened and everybody would know about it. And right now, with the diversity and the availability of information, that's much less the case. Much more diverse what people choose to be informed on culturally. So we're in kind of a weird spot culturally. But at this time, the people that were around, there was a very specific cultural conversation that was going on. And we could, I think, reasonably guess that this religious teacher has formed a racial question because of who's in the room and who's Jesus associating with. Because Jesus has become a part of his rep, a part of what he's known for, part of what people expect of him, is that he's hanging out with people you're not supposed to hang out with if you're a good Jewish boy. Are you with me? And so that, that has been, it has been phrased that way. And we know from historical data that the Jews in specifically this word neighbor, did not look at anybody who was not a Jew as their neighbor. And so he's, this is a, a, if if we all agree on something, it's a no-brainer question. It doesn't make any sense. He's asking it in particular because Jesus is noted for not agreeing with what he wants. Okay? And then what's interesting is the way that Jesus turns his question on, on its head. He tells the story, and then he says, not who is your neighbor, he says, who was his neighbor? Okay? So we're going to talk about the characters that are at play in this story just real quick. But first, I just want to remind us, we started last week, um, there's a couple of phrases that are essential ingredients of what makes this church, City Harbor Church, a safe place to find and follow Jesus. Phrases like, live like Jesus, share his love kind of hard to disagree with that if you call yourself a Jesus follower. Phrases like love gives. It's how we have come to define the difference between an agape kind of love, the Jesus kind of love, which Jesus is using that specific word here and in John 3.16 and other places. The difference is lust gets or takes or manipulates. It is selfish at its core. Love gives. So love gives and courageous generosity. And we see a few essential ingredients in Jesus' story that we're talking about. Compassion, courage, commitment, and cash and credit. And and Jesus is a genius in a lot of ways in the way that he has shaped this story. And it's important to note what we talked about last week, that Jesus is not recommending that we love people or help other people out of context of a healthy relationship with God, love God with all you've got, and agape love God with all you've got, which is very important context to the words that Jesus is saying. And love others in the same way that you care for yourself. And Jesus specifically uses this Greek phrase about being moved with compassion, which his followers also used to describe him. So this is, in a way, Jesus lifting up, hey, I behave like this. This is what a healthy relationship between you and God, and then therefore a healthy relationship between you and others. This is what that looks like. So we, we it's helpful for us. We can get more specific about simple things, and they can be more life-changing to us, more life-giving to us, if we pay attention to the specific context. Did I lose you? Okay, compassion 
And then now what we're looking at is courage. So let's talk just briefly about the characters in the story. First of all, Jesus starts the story with a Jewish man. Now he's saying that to a person who is Jewish. Okay? And who has asked a specific Jewish question. Now, if we were to do that today, um, in Jesus' day, it's more, the scenario that he's talking in is more complicated than the United States culturally. That might sound hard to believe, but I don't have 45 minutes to explain that. It would be a little bit more complicated, but just in broad strokes so that I can be an equal opportunity offender today. We might say, a college-educated white guy who wore a suit to work. Okay? Because Jesus is directly referring to what has already been set up in this conversation is somebody who feels superior to others. Because of who I am, how I talk, how I dress, how I walk. No matter if it's a blue-collar job, white-collar job, whatever. Jesus sets the context, a Jewish man. And he sets the context in on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem. Which, if you look at the geography is a mountainous road. And we're in the Greco-Roman Empire where the Greeks had already gone through, conquered everybody, taught everybody their language and their culture, and then the Romans had gone through and made secure roads and through established citizenship and a military power to make travel safe. Those are two things that occurred prior to the moment that Jesus is standing in. And so now people were traveling more than they used to. It was like, this is the thing to do. Now, because prior to the the Greeks and the Romans, if you crossed the hills in that stretch that Jesus refers to, you'd have gone through four different dialects, at least, if not completely different languages. And the barrier to be able to have commerce and to be able to do things, make a living, was much harder. And now the Greeks have taught everybody their language. The Romans have built roads and aqueducts. And establish some safety and some citizenship so that you could travel with some expectation of safety. And yet the Romans struggled with that a little bit. So it was common for criminals to try to find a quick and easy way to make a living. And so beating people up and taking their money was something that was going on. Okay, that's the context for this story. So we have this mountainous road, a little bit harder to secure. Jericho, not as important as Jerusalem. And the Roman Empire at this point in history is a little bit more spread out, so this stuff is a little bit more common. Pastor Ben, why on earth are you explaining this? I'll get there. Now, other characters that we have in the story. First of all, we have a priest, and Jesus uses a specific word for a full-time religious leader who was responsible for public religious ceremonies. A top dude. And then we get this word Levite, but he actually doesn't it's not exactly the same Hebrew Levite word. It actually, and that's why the New Living Temple Assistant is a faithful translation because a Levite was somebody who, we're talking about a Jewish assistant priest, someone who was not the public face and the voice, but somebody who worked with their hands to make the religious ceremonies possible. And not necessarily that his full-time pay associated with it might have been volunteer assistant. So, so Jesus does this social strata. And you've probably heard this story before and heard reference to the Samaritan. And Jesus uses a specific despised Samaritan, a, a Samaritan, a derogatory term. And now hundreds of years have passed. And maybe you've heard messages on this that have been a little bit careless and, um, Hundreds of years have passed since the time when Samaria was a region that was primarily inhabited by people that were multiracial. They were half Jewish and half of other nations. Hundreds of years have passed to that time, so now it's actually, 
a Persian region that has a lot of Gentiles, but it's particularly not a Jewish region. Okay, so it's particularly not a Jewish region, and what we have going on, and this is, I'm speaking from current archaeological and historical data that's outside of scripture that helps fill in the blanks of this story and helps us get a little bit closer to it. Living in Baltimore City, we're thinking about crab cakes, not this stuff. Maybe that's just me. So, um, why is that important? Well, that's important because in this particular setting, the Jews particularly felt superior to Samaritans and treated them as Gentiles, even though the original Samaritans were half Jewish by birth, okay, racially. But they had treated, they'd mistreated them to a point where in their code, it would, it would defile them. It would defile a Jewish man to share a meal where you would share the same utensils at the meal with the Samaritan, which is why when Jesus sits down at the well with the Samaritan woman and asks her for a drink, it's like, whoa. He is doing something that if, if you were like a neat nick Jewish practice person would defile you to take the, the pitcher of water that she drew. Okay? So, not only that, but this racial tension had gotten to a point of violence. Okay? So Samaritans had gone during a Jewish ceremony and a festival and taken bones and scattered bones in the temple of Jerusalem, desecrating it in the middle of the festival. That's a big deal. That's bigger than stealing the other high school's mascot, right? Even if it's a live person. It, it, this is a really big deal. And the racial tension had also gotten to the point of violence. There were violent skirmishes. There were violent skirmishes right before Jesus was there that we know from historical data where people were killed. And so the Romans are having to police this stuff and they're not happy about it. Okay? That's the context in which Jesus tells this story. So you could, you could kind of take any marginalized person to fill in the blank of Samaritan and you still wouldn't get the full depth of the meaning of what Jesus is talking about, right? You could say, a college-educated white guy who wore a suit to work every day is walking in a road, he gets beat up by bandits, along comes his his religious leader, top-level dude, doesn't help him, along comes the junior-level dude, he doesn't help him, and along comes a black man. Or what despised group of people is it to you? A drug dealer, a prostitute, uh, maybe a gay person. What is it? I don't know what your cultural, like the, the framework that you come from, who is a person that's looked down on? We could put that into this story, but it still wouldn't carry the full weight of what's going on. Because even though there is unrest in our country and there are African Americans and other crazy white anarchists that are, are trying to plan military action to seek anarchy in our country, that still doesn't rise to the level of this Jewish Samaritan hatred. So everyone's fully uncomfortable. <laughs> but even in this level of discomfort that you feel in me describing these things, it doesn't rise to the level of the tension. And Jesus, and why am I taking this time to point this out? Because in this story, we will lose the full weight of what Jesus is trying to communicate if we don't understand the context. And as often is the case with Jesus, always the case, it is not out of the context of personal relationship. 
And Jesus is being very specific about the context of their relationship with God and their relationship with other people. Because like we have seen in other occasions, Jesus is asked, hey, what's the most important thing in the scripture? And he says, love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. The same thing that this guy quotes, which is from Deuteronomy 6. Wow, lots of context. I want to talk about a couple of things just real quick. That's a 20-minute introduction. Um, Sorry, self-editing. It was common practice at this point for bandits, to use Jesus' word, to rob someone, to beat them up, and leave them half dead, as Jesus described, on the road, and then go hide with the stuff and watch to see if somebody else would come try to help that person so then they could come out and beat that person up too. And rob them of their stuff. So it was in their interest to not kill the person. Because if the person was making noise. Uh, owie. <laughs> Just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Then it would draw somebody over to help them. So we have two different things. And, and why am I saying this? I'm saying this because. Courage is probably the least explicit ingredient in this story that we're going to talk about. And yet, it may have been one of the most obvious ingredients to the people who heard Jesus' story for the first time. The actions of the Samaritan implied an extension of relationship that would have been quite unexpected. Right? So during Baltimore City's time of unrest, I was out to try to help be a peacemaker when things were getting violent. And, right or wrong, I wore my Christian minister collar, right? And people look at you different when you wear a collar, right? And and that helped provide me a remarkable amount of safety. But I saw also the way that people treated photographers, and then I also saw very clearly white people in formal dress trying to commute to work or doing whatever and how they behaved and how quickly they wanted to get away from the unrest. So think about that kind of context. How would it look for a young African-American Baltimore native son to extend a generous reach of relationship to this white guy in a suit? That would be like, whoa, That's the kind of story that Jesus is telling here. Why? I think there are two different kinds of courage completely on display that with a little bit of study of context we can see. One is courage where he was not afraid for his own safety. Right? What do we see? The, the, The big guy, the big important guy, doesn't cross the road to even look. He just keeps going. The, the temple assistant crosses the road to look, to inspect the guy, but then keeps going. The Samaritan crosses the road. So he has already, what we see in Jesus' story, is a courage that is not afraid of your physical safety. And, and just real quick, he uses this oil and wine to dress the wound. And that wouldn't make sense to you like, what are you doing? Putting that, you know, give the guy a drink. Was I the only one that thought that? <laughs> In particular, and at this time, oil and wine were mixed and were seen to be a healing um, salve. We'll try that word. Uh, 
wool was used, they pull out pieces of sheep's wool, and then crush olive and mix it with oil and wine and put it on the wound. The oil was, uh, the wine was supposed to cleanse the wound and the oil was supposed to soothe and heal the wound. And it was seen as both natural and spiritual. This was a common practice kind of across cultures. The reason that's important is because it further underlines my point about physical safety. If this guy carried that as a compound, like a mini first aid kit on him, that would be a little bit unusual. So most likely what's going on is he's pulling out a flask of oil, he's pulling out a flask of wine, he's pulling out some olives, he's mixing it. So not only is he just crossing over and picking the guy up, come on, we got to get out of here. No, he's it's a time-consuming process. Now, the other thing that happens in a time-consuming process is the second fear that I think he's overcoming in this way of courage is not only is he clearly taking action where he's more concerned about this person than his physical safety, but it's also relational reprisal. This is really important. A Samaritan would expect to be rejected by a Jew. So, and this happens to paramedics in Baltimore City. They go to help somebody, and then they get beat up. If there is a a racial issue going on, and the person is angry, sometimes they don't care who they lash out at. Okay? So, it's relational reprisal. So not only is it, he overcomes the fear of being rejected in the first immediate, but then what we see is he's mixing this ointment, is he's mixing this medicine to apply to the wound. That's lots of time to be looking at this guy and to 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 fear that he is going to reject him, hate him, notice from his physical appearance that he's of that other group, that other group of people, and reject him and not and not take his help. But also on this road, what can happen? Another Samaritan could walk by and see him helping a Jew and say, What the heck are you doing? And that could mean he gets the silent treatment. That could be he gets made fun of. That could mean that a commercial embargo goes against him. Who knows what kind of small business person he is. That means he could no longer do business. He is not only risking his safety, not only is he risking he could no longer earn a living, he is also risking how his community, wherever he lives as a Samaritan, would further reject him. This is the story that Jesus tells. I love talking about this in this church because we're really good at this. I'm not addressing a problem. I'm applauding a strength of the people in this room, the people that are part of our church family. So these are two forms of courage that I think are exercised that are important. I'd love to develop that more, but I need to move on. Courage, what are we talking about? The ability to do something that frightens one. Strength in the face of pain or grief. Confidence to act in accordance with one's belief. That is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. And again, I want to take us back to the context because I believe this is really, really important. What we are not talking about is a carnal, selfish, natural courage that is like a, I will go fight. No, Jesus is using a description out of 
love God with all you've got and love other people in the same way you take care of yourself. It is all you need is love. Right? It is wrapped in love, bathed in love, motivated by love, enacted by love with the purpose of love, with love seen, agape love seen as the filter of if it is righteous or not. Now, what is one of the many reasons Christians get a bad rap? Because they help people in a way that is condescending. And if Jesus had told this story the reverse, that would have been applied, implied. A Samaritan was on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he got beaten up by bandits, and then a Jew came and helped him. Now, if Jesus was trying to win the favor of the Jewish religious leader who was testing him, defying his identity as Messiah, if he wanted political power, if he wanted Christianity to be what was superior, what was controlling, what was the dominant force in culture, he would have appealed to those characteristics in this leader. And an easy, subtle way that you might not have even picked up on now that he could have done that was to say a Samaritan was walking on the road and got beat up and a Jew came to the rescue. But he doesn't tell that story. Why? Because the kingdom of God is upside down, inside out. And I mean those words and they mean something. Compared to a fleshly, carnal, humanistic perspective, the kingdom of God is upside down and inside out. And so Jesus turns their preconceived notions on their head by saying a Jew was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho or whichever direction it was and got beat up and a Samaritan came to help him. Because that does not imply that the person who is helping the other is helping condescending fashion. Last week we talked about compassion, we're talking about love, but I think it's really important when we talk about a word like courage that we talk about it from a kingdom of God perspective, not what we naturally think of from a human perspective. I have courage! Are you with me? Because you may have opportunity to exercise the kind of courage that Jesus is elevating here. And if you do it out of a carnal thing like that, you will turn people off. How do I know? I've done it. I know, you thought I was perfect. No. I'm going to step out and help this person. Not afraid for my own safety. Not worried about relief. And guess what? People get who you are more than what you say. They can smell it on you. If you feel in your heart, I'm being courageous by helping this person. They can smell that a mile away. So one of the first things that I did when I was in my late teens after deciding to follow Jesus was um, spend a good number of hours um, on the streets downtown of Portland um, trying to find ways to help, in particular, homeless uh, teenagers and, and people in their early 20s. And that really led to, uh, and um, I learned pretty quickly to not go by myself and to go into small groups, um, but that led pretty quickly to us helping um, teenagers, in particular, who were runaways who uh, were addicted to drugs and were using prostitution to 
support their lifestyle and their ability to live the way that they did. And, and um, across the board, in, in every sexual orientation possible and transgender and, and um, of all varieties. And I don't talk about that often because it's like, I don't feel like it's compassionate to just talk about that publicly um, to the, the people that are affected by it. And a tremendous amount of pain, primarily runaways, primarily using drugs to self-medicate, um, and primarily using prostitution to pay their bills. And I spent, and honestly, most of the hours were probably spent listening. And I know you don't believe that's true about me, but it was. It was. Uh, primarily listening and primarily offering relational support, encouragement, love. And we talked about Jesus and we prayed for them and we saw miracles and, and uh, it was beautiful, it was amazing. Um, it was an experience in my life that taught me a great deal. By listening to the stories of people um, that were in a, a tremendous amount of pain. And uh, to be honest with you, the lesson that we're talking about today from this story, I think I really learned about from those experiences. And I, I gotta be honest with you, I don't think I'm really good yet at articulating those lessons very well. And I'm sorry. But definitely I learned a lot about the heart issue. There's a good book that I'd recommend to you when helping hurts that talks about this where people can seek to help someone at international missions or other things like that and do harm instead of actually hurting someone. And I think that this is a part of what Jesus is trying to communicate, even though he's dealing with someone who is defying his identity. Instead of attacking this religious leader who's defying his identity, he tells this story because he knows that he's giving the people that are there within earshot and, and, and even this religious leader who's defying his authority, his identity as Messiah, he's giving them an opportunity to learn about what good love looks like, smells like, sounds like. Courage can look like that. And we should be very careful as Christians to not separate it from the context of our relationship of loving God with all we've got and loving others. What I see here is that Jesus has not asked us to help other people in our own strength, out of our own motives, with our own ideas, our way, our words. He's certainly not asked us to do it without compassion and without courage. One of the reasons that the kingdom of God does not grow in this natural world is because when we are seeking to become followers of Jesus, it's very easy to reach a certain initial state of spiritual health and then just be happy. And then just kind of settle in and have relationships with people who agree with us, who look like us, who sound like us, who talk like us. And not go further. And uh, one of the leaders of our network of churches described the negative side of this within church culture like this. He described it as fostering the eternal childhood of the believer. So, Pastor Ben, why are you offensive sometimes? Why are you so direct? Why do you get kind of aggro on Sundays? 
if I don't turn the nest up like a bird with the baby starts to turn the nest so that the sticks start to stick up in the nest so that the baby birds will want to get out and fly, you won't grow. Okay, not you, but, and not you, but all y'all. When we will come to a state of holy dissatisfaction, we will start to grow spiritually. When we grow spiritually in this way, we draw closer to the Lord. When we draw closer to the Lord, we hear in His heartbeat, we see in His eyes the reflection of what He is looking at. And what is in His heartbeat and what is in His eye are people that are hurting, despised, put down, segregated from, spit on, the hurting. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago. And those people are forever. So much of what we spend time on our life, working hours at a job to pay for the car and the car insurance and all that, blah, 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 will not last forever. But the hurting people that God has put in our lives, they will last forever. And where we need courage to grow up in our relationship with God, it does take courage, which is why it's better for me to encourage you more than disturb you. When we will grow up in that faith, then the byproduct should be we will seek, we will look to be looking for people that are hurting, and we will be willing to step out when we see a need to meet it out of compassion, with love, with a courage where we are not only not afraid of being rejected, we realize it doesn't matter if we are rejected. Let me unpack that theologically just real quick. Jesus said, John three sixteen and 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but that through him it might be saved. And what is really important is that Jesus uses the world. And here's what this means. God makes the good news available to everyone, including those he knew would reject it. We don't have a right to only serve the people we think will accept it. Human nature leads us to come to think that it was only worth it and we only feel good about ourselves if they accept it and then they come to walk like us and talk like us and smell like us. And if they reject us, ridicule us, persecute us, put us down, or just walk away, or give us a silent treatment, or talk about us as the crazy Christian at the workplace, or whatever it is, or just mock, it wasn't, I'm not good. Is Jesus not good because some people reject him? Come on, will you engage with this? Is Jesus not good because some people reject him? No, he is still the lamb. He's still the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Champion, the one who initiates our faith and will bring it to completion. He is still Messiah, even when people reject Him. Let us not be childlike 
and allow our identity to get caught up in whether people reject us or accept us. Let us grow up into our faith and realize God still loves me. And God extends love to everyone. And I should extend love to everyone. And when they reject me, I don't have a right to get defensive. I may be hurt, but I don't have a right to lash out. The courage, as as you see, is not a lack of fear. It's what you do with fear. And Jesus is specifically talking about a courage in the context of relationship with God where you love God with all you've got and you love other people and then you reach out with love and with help no matter what they do in return. It is possible to, even though you get hurt, be happy, be content. That sounds twisted. Yeah, if you only take a carnal, human, immature look at it. It is possible if you will grow up into your faith and your identity of who you are in Christ. Courage is mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, withstand danger, fear or difficulty, willingness to confront agony, pain, danger, uncertainty or intimidation. Here's some verses and we'll close with a couple of suggestions. God says through Moses to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Ephesians 6.10, I will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Don't try to take on courage out of your strength. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me a spirit of fear. And Paul writes us, referring to Timothy and himself. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Willingness to step out in faith to help someone else, not afraid for your safety, not afraid of your what will happen to your reputation, not afraid of being rejected. That's what Jesus is talking about. Will you see a need and meet it? How can I grow in courage? One, Love God with all you've got and love your neighbor as yourself first. That's the foundation. That's the context of this. Second, confess. Talk to God. Confess where you've lacked courage. Ask God for forgiveness and receive forgiveness. God doesn't want this to be a week-long punishing yourself because you didn't have courage to share Jesus with that neighbor, to reach out in love and meet that need. No, quickly confess where you've been wrong. Ask for forgiveness and receive that forgiveness. Third, Ask God for help and perspective. God, will you help me see myself the way you do? God, will you help me see other people the way that you do? God, will you help me see the opportunities the way that you do? Fourth, pray a verse about courage. Is this like self-top? Yeah, a little bit. Get a Bible verse, because when you pray a Bible verse, it's the power of God is in it. Pray a verse about courage. Fifth, Grow in it alongside others, moving in the same direction. It's really important because if we're going to grow in this kind of courage in the context that Jesus lifts it up, we need to make sure that we're growing in this, talking about it with people that see it the same way we do to help us move in that direction. Talk about what you're seeing with other people. Team up to reach out. Find somebody else 
who is willing to step out and grow in courage. A couple of ladies for us to learn from uh, just in closing today. Born with the name Isabella Bomfrey, the African-American abolitionist and woman's rights activist gave herself the name Sojourner Truth to reflect her calling to travel and spread the word. Born into slavery in New York, Truth escaped but was only able to take one child with her and had to leave a son behind. Later, she became the first black woman to win a court case against a white man when she reclaimed her son. Sojourner fought for the greater good of her community and our country at great personal risk and costs. Although she was well received by many, including multiple U.S. presidents, she also faced incredible opposition. She didn't win every battle, but she never stopped fighting. She exemplified many servant leadership attributes, including integrity and strong character, healing, stewardship, building community, empathy, and courage. Harriet Tubman was born into slavery and became an abolitionist after escaping to the free states. Later, she also fought for the rights of elderly African Americans and became a Union spy during the American Civil War. Harriet was beaten terribly by different masters as a child. In one instance, she received a traumatic blow to her head when she refused to help a slave master detain a runaway slave. Suffering from that injury included headaches, seizures, and what modern doctors attributed as powerful dreams and visions. These symptoms never ended throughout her life. Tubman, however, ascribed the source of her visions and dreams to messages from God. Harriet's risk of harm to herself did not deter her from an unending battle of freedom for slaves. Whether risk her, uh, whether risking her life for a single slave or hundreds at a time, Harriet did whatever she could to free others. Freedom for herself only seemed to motivate her struggle, uh, motivate her further in the struggle against slavery. The personal afflictions suffered in her childhood were not treated as an excuse, but a driving force behind her mission. She served those she loved, and she loved a great many. These and other attributes of Harriet Tubman's character and life reflected many servant leader attributes, including healing, empathy, persuasion, foresight, stewardship, conceptualization, building community, and commitment to the growth of people. Let's stand and close in prayer this morning. Lord, I thank you so very much that you have given us the message of Jesus through this story to help us grow, to help us learn more about you, to help us learn more about how you think, about what you feel, about what you value. And Lord, as we approach these things, they're difficult because of our human nature and because of the challenges we face on our own and and just how easy it is for us to not be able to see past the end of our own noses. Lord, I ask that you would help us, Lord, to have an honest view of ourselves, of, of you and of others. Lord, I ask that you would open our spiritual eyes to see what you see. Would you open our spiritual ears to hear your voice? 
God, today we confess where we've been wrong, where we have not stepped out in courage to help others, where we saw a need. Would you please forgive us? Help us to receive that forgiveness and that healing today. And God, as we walk out of here today, would you help us to see one thing we can do to grow in courage and to step out from your love to help others when we see a need that we would reach out to meet it. And God, that we would be whole in you so that we are not defensive or angry if we're rejected. And God, would you help us to have a boldness that comes just like your followers had a boldness, Lord, once they received the Holy Spirit. Would you help us to have a boldness that we would not shrink back from stepping out to help others, but instead we would have the courage to help others. God, we... We need your help. And I thank you because I believe that you have help for us and you are here to help us. Help us to encourage each other in this today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here today. It's great to see you. Uh, please feel free to get something to eat or drink. Uh, bless each other. Have a great week. Grace and peace to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.